Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, last week, I want to celebrate this before we get into the message. Last week, we had our Legacy Sunday, and uh, for those of you that were here and you gave in that, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, we had uh, set a goal for $25,000 to come in in that one weekend uh, so that we could begin renovations on the building back there to turn it into a teen and family center, and uh, some of those renovations have already started. Um, if uh, you haven't looked in there, peek in there, uh, man, we've been ripping out that old stage. We're turning it into a basketball court. We're just doing a lot of work. It's awesome. And and uh, so last week, um, $18,000 came in. Come on, towards our goal of $25,000. And uh, so that is awesome, man. That is, that actually, here's, here's the crazy thing. And my wife can correct me on this, or Kathy can correct me on this, or uh, it's, is I believe that is actually the largest, because that wasn't including um, all of the normal ties that come in. That was just designated for Legacy Sunday. And I believe that was the largest giving on a Legacy Sunday we've ever had. So can you give yourself a hand? Come on, that is awesome. And all of that in the middle of a pandemic, when people are struggling, and what, what do we do? Man, we just let our faith rise, and we gave towards that. Um, but if you're here, and you didn't have an opportunity to give towards that, and you want to do that, it's not too late. Our goal is still to hit that 25000 so we got about 7000 more to go. And I believe, by the grace of God, we're going to get there, and we're going to continue to be a place of hope and healing for our community um, as we get that thing renovated. I'm excited about it. We actually have a hockey player that goes to our church, probably going to play some college hockey. And unfortunately, we cannot put a nice rink in. I'm sorry. Um, but, but we're working towards some stuff. It's, it's going to be awesome. And so way to go, church. Man, so thankful, so proud uh, to be your pastor and see what God's doing here. Uh, we've been in a series entitled Roots. And um, in this series, we've been looking at the biblical core values of Canvas Church. Uh, we've been talking about maybe a little bit about the soil of Canvas Church. What makes Canvas Church what it is? And uh, we've talked so far about the presence of God, which was our first message uh, that we talked about, about the, the Spirit of God moving in our church and how we see that happening through the gifts of the Spirit being expressed according to 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, we've also, uh, Pastor Steve did a great message on generosity um, several weeks ago, talking about uh, the biblical principle of what a tithe is and what an offering is and, and separating those out and talking about how the people of God, uh, we ought to be generous. Now, we've talked that last week, we talked about uh, the relational side of church and the relational aspect of, uh, of Canvas. And if you missed that message, you got to watch it because I personally think it was a really good one. And uh, man, had fun preaching that. Um, but talked about what we can accomplish as a relational community for, for the glory of God. Um, it was just, just an awesome time together. One of our other core values is, is fun, having fun together. That isn't one that we're preaching on. That is one that we are exhibiting um, every, every time we come together. We like to have fun together. Are you with me? And, uh, and so we find now, listen to me, um, if it wasn't, uh, if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic, you would see that even more, all right, because there's just some things we're not doing so we can be cautious and practice safety and things like that. Uh, but that shows up in who we are. And here's what you need to understand about uh, the culture of a church. The culture of a church is formed by the core values. Uh, but a lot of those things aren't things you teach on. They're things that you just catch as you're there in the moment. And uh, one thing you're going to find out is that, man, this is a place that loves to have fun. Um, we also talk about passion, uh, passion being one of our core values. Now, passion mostly uh, shows up in our worship. 
And and we talked about that. Well, today I want to talk to you uh, about our last core value, and we'll close out this, and we'll start a new series in December, um, and it's going to be all about Christmas. Shocker. Come on, somebody. And uh, we're going to have fun doing that. If you like to take notes and you want paper version, can you just shoot your hand in there right now, and the ushers will come and give you one of those. Um, If you like the uh, digital version, we have that as well. You can download our app by texting the word app to 858-943-2221. And um, you can get the digital, digital ones there. But today we're going to talk about this idea of, of restoration. Restoration. It is probably our premier core value um, here at Canvas Church that we, that we dive into. Um, you know, one of our hallmark scriptures here for our church is Ephesians 2.10. And you are God's masterpiece. Um, and we've done a whole series on that. But you are God's masterpiece. And it says this, created anew in Christ Jesus so that you can begin to do the good things that he prepared for you long ago. Such a great snapshot of restoration that you're his masterpiece. And through the work of Christ, man, you've been created anew to do the things that he had planned uh, for your life. It's it's one of our our, our big core values. I want to take you to Psalm 51. So turn your Bibles there today, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, we're going to read verses 1 through 13, although on your notes it might read a little bit differently. Um, I decided to change it a little bit this morning. Psalm 51, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. We're going to start in verse 1, and this is known as David's prayer for restoration. David's prayer for restoration. And it says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. We're going to read on, but why is David writing this with so much passion? Why is he using the words he's using? This is the context of which David is writing Psalm 51. The context goes back to the verse I shared with you earlier, 2 Samuel 11, where David has not only committed adultery with Bathsheba, but to try to cover his sin, he actually sends to Uri, uh, her husband, to come back from the battlefield in hopes that he would sleep with his wife, hopes that Uri would sleep with Bathsheba, so that he would think that he's the one that got her pregnant. David tries to cover his tracks. He tries to cover his sin. But, but this, this, this warrior comes back, and he doesn't go to his house, the Bible says says that he, he camps out with the rest of the, the army that's there in the city and sleeps on the street. David hears about it, and he's a little bit ticked off because his plan isn't working. And so he gets him drunk, hoping that he would then go back. There is so much debauchery in this, 2 Samuel 11. He gets Uri drunk in hopes that he would then go to his home and sleep with his, his wife, and he still doesn't. So now David devises a plan of how to get rid of this warrior, puts him on the front lines, gets him out there in battle, and tells the, the captain of the armies to pull back but leave Uri in there so that he gets shot and gets killed. And it happens, okay? And then David eventually takes Bathsheba to be his wife, okay? Nathan, the great prophet at the time, comes to David and exposes his sin. And David now realizes it, and this is the context in which he writes Psalm 51, Verse 3, for I recognize my rebellion 
It haunts me day and night. He's restless. He can't sleep. He feels unfulfilled. He, he feels not really uh, at this point. He doesn't even necessarily feel he's getting there. He doesn't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He feels the condemnation and the guilt because he's outside of the presence of God. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and, and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. Not only is he lacking true conviction, he's lacking joy. He's, he's pleading for this joy once again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He felt separated. He felt far. Verse 12, here it is. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I love that David is starting to recognize in this part as he pens this, he's starting to recognize that his joy comes from his position in Christ rather than his position in life. David recognizes now there's beginning to be this turn inside of him where true conviction is setting in. I realize that the only place I find fulfillment, the only place I find joy, the only place I find true conviction is when I'm in your presence. Restore to me that joy, the joy of your salvation, and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. I want to talk to you on the next few moments on the idea of restoration. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is, is living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that that word would come alive to us right now in this moment. I pray, God, that your word, Lord God, would spring forth in this place, that, that God, we would see Lord God, that the crux of the word of God is really the idea of restoration, that, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, so that there could be restoration in humanity. Now, I pray you'd help me in these moments, create a place where people could discover your son, Jesus, know your amazing love, and understand the incredible plan that you have for their life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen, amen. I was never much of a gamer growing up. Now, what's a gamer? I, I gotta probably break this down for some of you. A gamer is just somebody that likes to play video games, all right? Now, that was never me. I never was a big, like, I, I love playing video games. I know some of you out there, uh, maybe even the same age as me, you love video games, and that's okay, all right? But I was just never that. I would rather be outdoors. I'd rather be on the basketball court. I'd rather be doing something else. But I do remember about when I was 14 years old, uh, when everyone, I think I was 14, maybe 13, but everyone was getting it. It was the Nintendo. Come on, somebody. 
Now, I'm not talking about the new school Nintendo. I'm not talking about like your PS5s that are going for like $2,000 on eBay right now. I'm, I'm going way back to like, like Nintendo and uh, Mario Brothers. Come on, somebody, right? And uh, I remember that all my friends were getting it. And I was like, well, I want one of those. And I never had a gaming system. I was like 14 years old. I never had a gaming system. And, and so sure enough, our parents got me and my brother one. And man, we, we just sat there for hours playing Mario Brothers, right? Trying to beat each level. And, you know, anyway. Um, and I can just still see the little fire things and all that. Um, and it was just like, this is awesome. But I quickly learned that the best button on the whole entire game system was the reset button. Come on, somebody. I quickly learned to value that button because when I wasn't doing real well and, and it was about over and I would be frustrated and I would be mad, you know what I'd do? I'd do what all of you did. I'd push the reset button, right? Take me back to the beginning. Give me a fresh start. Wipe out that. I love the reset button. Now, for those of you um, that are of a certain age that they did not have gaming systems, come on, somebody, right? Um, they didn't have that. This would be the equivalent of you playing Monopoly with your, with your sibling, and in the middle of the game, they're so mad that they're, because they're losing that they flip the whole board. Come on, somebody. That's a reset button right there, right? And then you got to set it all up because you don't remember, and then you got to start all over, all over again. That's the reset button, man. I fell in love with the reset button because it gave me a fresh start, a brand new opportunity, a brand new moment. Here we see in Psalm 51 that David is pleading with God to press the reset button. He, he, is, he is pleading with God, God, would you take me back to that place of joy? Would you take me back to that place where, where I felt your presence? Would you take me back to that place where I felt in unity, in oneness with the Holy Spirit? Would you take me back to that moment? Restore to me. Take me back. Press the reset button. I want to go back there. Something you need to understand is this, is that the, 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 biggest, the biggest principle in all of Scripture, from the time it starts in the book of Genesis, to the time it finishes in the book of Revelation is the idea of restoration. God is a restorer. God is a restorer. God wants to restore relationships. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore your, your salvation. He wants to restore your, your, your health. He, he's into restoring things. Now we see this early on. I mean, we are literally only five chapters in to the whole entire book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 5, when all of a sudden we see God press the reset button. If you read the book of, of Genesis, you're going to see that God created everything. He created Adam and Eve, and he commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. And so Adam and Eve begin to have sons, Cain and Abel. But we're literally just maybe a couple chapters in when, when Cain gets jealous of Abel, and Cain kills Abel. Abel now dead. Cain now banished from the garden. Adam and Eve, who do they have to carry on? Genesis chapter 5. It's so powerful. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1, it says, this is the written account of the descendants of Adam. When God created human beings, he made them to be like himself, he created them male and female and blessed them and called them human. 
When Adam was 130 years old, he became a father of a son who was just like him in his very image, and he named his son Seth. What happened to Cain and Abel? Here's where the genealogy picks up. After Adam and Eve, there was Seth. What happened to Cain and Abel? I'll tell you what happened to Cain and Abel. God came in and pushed the reset button. God came in and restored. God came in and restored. The word restoration, it's the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. The act of returning something to the former owner, place, or condition. To turn back or to return. God is in to restoration. The greatest restoration is seen right here in Psalm 51 as well. It's called salvation. It's the greatest, the greatest place we experience the restoring work of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is that moment, because we were all there. David said it, I was born a sinner. That place where we were walking in sin, that place where we were walking separated from him, that place that we were walking far from him, but then God. The greatest way we experience the restoration of our Lord Jesus Christ is through salvation. Psalm 103, verse 12 says this. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so has our transgression, our iniquity, our sin been removed from us. I don't know about you, but I like that verse because I've realized something. And no matter how far I walk west, West is still that way. And as far as the east is from the west, man, he's removed my sin from me, my guilt from me, my iniquity from me. I love what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. It says, that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are you with me today? I don't know, but when I read scriptures like that, I get a little bit excited. And here's why I get excited. Maybe you don't get as excited as me because I know all the junk in my trunk. Come on, somebody. I know, I know, although I know all the things that I've struggled with. I know all the things that I've done. I know all the sins in my past. I know. And so when I read verses like this, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that all that stuff has been removed as far as the east is from the west. Not only that, man, I'm a new creation in him. Man, old things, man, that old life, that old, those old thought processes, the old things I've done, man, they are gone. They are never to return. Man, I'm a brand new creation. Have you ever picked up a picture of when you were living in sin and looked at that person and wondered, who is that person? You ever picked up that picture and said, my God. I don't even remember, I don't even remember that lifestyle. I don't remember who that is. I am no longer that. I'm a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that makes me excited. See, the reason some of us can get excited is because we know we've experienced it. Man, I'm just looking around this room, and I'm so thankful for a church that embraces the idea of restoration and sees it in Scripture now, we have, we have people in this building right now and watching online and sitting in the cafe that have literally come from all walks and all backgrounds. And they walk in here and they don't experience judgment. They experience the grace of God. And we let them walk through their transition. We let them walk through their moment. We let them be in process. 
Um, we, we have people that have come out of a lifestyle of homosexuality that are serving on our team today. And guess what? Some of them started serving in areas even while they were in process coming out of that lifestyle. That's powerful. We have, we have people on our executive leadership team, which, uh, which is the highest level of leadership here that helps us with the vision of the church, man, that have, have seen marriage restored in their life. Came from a broken marriage. Came from divorce. God says, now we're going to restore. That's powerful. That's powerful. We have, we have people that are serving in high levels of our team that came from a life of drugs, of addiction, of heroin. I love that. It shows the restoration work of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I love it. I'm, I'm married to a former druggie. And she tells her story publicly. It's in this book right here that we have out there. If you haven't picked it up yet, you should pick it up. She tells her story. Now I'm married to one. Man, the restoration work that I've seen in my wife's life as I was the one to be able to lead her to the Lord before we were ever married. I've seen restoration right before my very eyes as I led her to Jesus. Literally, probably, probably just five months after she tried to take her own life because there was nothing worth living for. I walked through her door and I met her and thought, man, she's hot. Come on, somebody. I didn't know her story. Began to get to know her, found out her story. After hanging out for about 30 days, she came to church. Came to church twice. Then afterwards, we were out to, out to lunch with a bunch of friends at a house. And in the middle of the conversation, I had a chance to lead her to Jesus. God's into restoration. He wants to restore. He loves the, store, the, the stories of restoration. It's seen throughout all of Scripture. God is a restorer. Listen to me. I don't know who you are, where you're at, what you're walking through, what your restoration story is, but I tell you this, your story isn't over yet. Your story isn't over yet. See, some of you, you, may, you might be dealing with some depression, some anxiety. You might be thinking, man, the marriage is over. You might be thinking that the business is over, the job is over, the ministry is over, whatever it is. You might be sitting there thinking that, but with God, the story is never over. He is into restoration. He wants to restore you. He wants to make things brand new. Yes, it starts with salvation, the greatest restoration ever, but every area of your life, he wants to restore. He wants to bring you back into a place of ministry. He wants to bring you back into place of marriage. He wants you to bring it back to that place of hope and health and healing in life. That is what he wants to do. Listen to me. People might write you off. People might say, man, it's over for you. Man, you, you might have lost hope yourself, but I want to be the guy. I want to be the church that is sitting there rooting you on saying, man, it ain't over. God is not finished with your story. I want us to be that church. I want us to be that place. Man, is it messy? Yes, it is messy. Man, sometimes it's downright ugly. But I want to be that church. I, wanna, I don't want to be the guy that's just up here yelling at you. Come on, somebody. I want to be the guy that, man, has your back when you are, are feeling like, man, no one accepts me. No one cares for me. No one loves me. No one appreciates me. I want to be the guy that's standing right there saying, I do. We do. Canvas does. There's a place for you. There's room for you. Man, you, where, where do you want to go? Let's do it together. Is it messy? Yeah, it's really messy. 
man, the church ends up looking more like a hospital than it does a cruise ship. Come on, somebody. You know, the sad thing is everybody wants to go on a cruise. Nobody wants to be in a hospital. Look, there's a lot of cruise ship churches out there, and they're awesome. But, man, I want to be the church that says, man, come as you are. Be in process. God's grace is going to get you sooner or later. And we'll, we'll, walk, we'll walk it out with you. And it gets messy. It looks a lot more like a construction zone than it does the mansion when it's finished. Every, everybody likes the nice finished home. Right? But you didn't see all the people behind the scenes putting it together, piecing it together, running the wires, drilling the holes. Yeah. See, but I'm, I'm telling you, I feel like, man, you can appreciate the mansion a lot more when you've been a part of the process of building it. And you can appreciate it a lot more. As church messy, yeah, it gets messy. Ask a guy named Moses in the Old Testament. Moses, you don't know who he is. Moses is the guy that, 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 was, that, was, that was given the mission of leading a bunch of disgruntled people out of Egypt into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Man, that was a messy journey. That was a messy journey. Yeah, it gets messy. But man, God's into restoration. I want our church to be into restoration. I want our church to, to reach everybody and anybody that's willing to walk through the doors, come under the grace of God, come under the teaching of the scriptures, surrender their life. I want to reach people for him. I want to see restoration play out in your life, in my life. I believe, I honestly believe that, um, I, I just was talking to one of my mentors this morning, and we got, he asked how church was going. I said, man, it's going good. I said, I don't really know where we're at numerically. I believe that the other 60% of our church is watching online. If you're watching online and you have my number, email, text me, email me. I love you. I want to hear from you. I hope they are, but I don't know. And he shared with me this statistic. He said, Ben, this year, uh, 20% of all churches in California have permanently shut their doors because of the pandemic. That's tragic. But that just shows me how much greater the work is that we have in front of us. And I honestly believe, even in light of that, I believe that we're walking into the greatest moments of restoration that the church has ever seen. I believe that. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe we're walking into the greatest moment, the greatest hour the church has ever seen. And I believe that, man, God gave us this place not even two years ago. What has it been now? 19 months ago. Um, so that we could get ready for the greatest harvest that we've ever seen. I believe that. I believe that. Um, let me just finish with this. Hopefully you're getting something out of this today. Um, Man, do you hear David's heart? Man, he's, he's feeling disconnected. He's feeling separated. He's feeling lost. He's feeling hopeless. But he did not forget where he needed to go to find that once again. And he turns his heart and he turns his prayer towards the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And as he does that, David shows us a couple of things. First, um, that he understands restoration has the power 
to take you from condemnation to conviction. To take you from condemnation to conviction. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? He, he talks about his guilt. See, condemnation will keep you focused on what you've done. Condemnation, that, that, those sleepless nights where you lay there and you're like, man, I blew it. Man, I'm, I'm horrible. Man, I can't believe this happened. Man, what was I thinking? And, and it keeps you focused on you because as long as the enemy can keep you focused on you, you'll stay in that place. But where conviction, conviction only comes by the Holy Spirit. Listen to me. Both use guilt. But one is centered on you, condemnation, and the other one, conviction, is centered on the work of Christ. In restoration, the idea of hope and healing, that I don't have to stay here, I don't have to stay in this mess, that idea of restoration takes me out of focusing on me, condemnation, and puts my sole attention on him where conviction sets in. And it's there that I can find forgiveness. Are you with me today? David understood that restoration took him from condemnation to conviction. Eyes off of me, eyes on him. Eyes off of what I've done and eyes on what he's done. There, man, we find healing. Secondly, David understood that, that, that restoration takes you from sorrow to joy. It takes you from sorrow to joy. He was very sorrowful, but he knew that if he could get back into the presence of God, that joy would be restored. I don't know about you, but I'd rather live in joy than in sorrow. Matter of fact, the Bible says that in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy, Psalm 1611. So what was the problem? David says it. Man, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I feel separated. I feel disconnected. I don't, I'm, not finding, I'm not finding this oneness with you. David knew he had to get back into the presence because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. Listen to me. When you are dealing with sorrow and you are dealing with those types of thoughts and feelings, I know sometimes you don't want to come to church, but the greatest place you can be is in church, whether online or on campus, in the presence of God, with other believers worshiping him, glorifying him. I'm telling you right now, if you push past those momentary feelings of, I don't really want to be there, I'm telling you, once you get there and once you get in this place and you start to worship and you start to hear your pastor encourage you, come on. You're going to go from a place of sorrow to joy. Why? Because where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is. There's his presence. And in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Man, the greatest place you can be. Listen to me. The enemy wants to work overtime on you. When you're feeling those lows in your life, whether it's because of sin, something you've done, or whether it's just because of circumstances you're walking through, it doesn't matter. When you're feeling those lows, you know what the enemy tries to do? The enemy tries to separate you from the church, the body of Christ, other believers. People be reaching out to you, and you be ghosting them. Well, we got quiet. Why, why does he do that? Because he doesn't want you to rise up out of your sorrow. And experience joy. And he knows that he can get you around other believers. If he can get you in the church. Are you with me? You're going to start to feel that joy and that hope once again. True restoration takes you from a place of, of sorrow to a place of joy. Worship team, you can come on up. 
Lastly, um, true restoration takes you from a place of unfulfilled to fulfilled. From a place of unfulfilled to fulfilled. Why is that? Because true restoration comes when you're connected to the heart of God. When you're connected to Jesus. And full fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ. I want to be that church. I want to be that place. So why is restoration our core value? Because I believe it's one of the greatest things that we see in Scripture. And I believe it's one of the greatest things that he's doing right now. And I believe it's going to be one of the greatest moments we walk into for the next couple of months. As we see people rise up out of hopelessness. We see people rise up out of a place of devastation. And they begin to experience hope and healing. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word is awesome. Lord, that your word is life-giving. God, we thank you for, Lord, a message from David, Psalm 51. Lord, I pray we would learn from this, grow from this. God, I pray that we wouldn't have to be ones that walk through the devastation, the failures, the choices. But God, we would look at this and say, man, I never want to experience the separation that David experienced. But God, I also pray for those that are walking through it right now and they do feel that separation. Lord, I pray that today would be the day where you restore their joy. God, today would be the day where you restore your salvation to them. God, that today would be the day, Lord God, where they step away from a place of unfulfillment to a place of fulfillment. It's only found in you. Hallelujah. Do me a favor. Just go ahead and stand to your feet. Close your eyes as we close out this service. You're here today. and Maybe you're watching online. You'd say, you know, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm far from him, man. I, I need to be restored back into relationship with him. Man, there's been some things working overtime on my faith and on my life, and I need to, I need to experience that restoration. And experience him in my life once again. If that's you, every eye is closed and you're here and I, I want to know who you are. I want to pray for you. If that's you and you say, man, I need to step back into a relationship with my Heavenly Father. Or maybe you're saying, I've never been in a relationship. But man, what you're talking about, I want to experience joy. I want to experience that fulfillment. I want to experience that hope. By the one of those of you, if that's you, just shoot your hand in there right where I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Hallelujah, God, you're good. Anybody online, you're watching right now, and you say that's you, here's all you have to do is, right now they're throwing up a link. It says, yes, I believe. But just click on that link right now. Let us know that, then you're saying, I need Jesus. If you can't find the link, you can simply text the word yes to 858-943. Two, 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 one. But we had one in this service raise their hand, and maybe there's more online. So this is what I want to do. I want to pray this prayer together. Man, we're a family. We're relational. We're, we're connected as a church. and So we're a part of the body of Christ. Let's pray this together, especially for the one that raised their hand and those of you that are responding online. Say, Jesus, I love you, and I ask you to come into my life, to fill me with joy, with hope, with salvation. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. 
that you died on the cross for my sins. So I ask that you forgive me of my sins right now. Now in this moment, come on, you know there's some things that have separated you from God. Just give them to him right now. It's going to take like 15 seconds. Whatever they are, just say, forgive me of this. Forgive me of that. Forgive me of this. Come on, if you're watching online, just, just speak it out right now. Those things that have separated you from the life. David went and listed some of his things as we move on in the passage. Just go ahead, give them to him right now. Hallelujah. Let the grace of God sweep over you. Come on, everybody gather. Just pray this. Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Lead me, guide me, and fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, 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 amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.